We're experiencing some video problems online, friends, so we'll see the best. We'll try to get this going where you can see us all. If not, you'll have to settle for uh, me. Sit there and look pretty. <laughs> I don't know what today is. Oh, well, last week was the choirs. So, it's, we were going with Advent. So, yeah, I know. I just, I just forgot. I have to look on my song. Yeah, I, I, maybe I wrote it today. What song were we? Welcome to Blue Jean. Recording. Bishop, we can't hear you. Is that the right one? <laughs> we got John now. I That's just good. That's good. It. Yeah, good. All right. So you can't see us because our camera's broken. We're we're in the midst of getting a whole new video set up. We got bids and all that, and I try to work my way through it. But right now, I think this is you know getting. This set may be dying, so, so, so and so they're not really, so anyway. The camera has a light on it, but it's not wanting to respond to us. Anyway, so you can hear everyone else, but you'll have to just you can see me. We're going to do Psalm 25 tonight, or today. Hopefully, it won't take all night. <laughs> well, we're, we're all right with We're with you right along. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, in, in looking at these psalms, another psalm is chosen for this coming Sunday. So for the first two weeks, I've taken a psalm that's from our lectionary for the coming Sunday. There, there are a few psalms that are in there, but this is one I've, I, I've, I've chosen, and it... it in, in kind of looking it through, it, it strikes me that um, it approaches Advent, again, experientially. You know, so, so often we're thinking about describing faith and a doctrine of the second coming or that. And what we really have here is the kind of um, experiential expression of what it means to 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 wait for God. So let's just let's just jump in and talk about this psalm. It well, let, actually let's do what we did last week. Let's read the whole thing and then let's come back and kind of talk our way through it. So just you can look at your psalm if, and read through with us, and then we'll uh, we'll we'll come back and talk at the, about the constituent parts. To you, Lord, I lift up my soul. O oh my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. 
Let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindnesses, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he teaches sinners in the way. The humble he guides in justice, and the humble he teaches his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth, to such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Who is the man that fears the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he chooses. He himself shall We lost your sound, Bishop. For he shall pluck my feet out of the net. Turn on my phone or something. No, well, I can oh, turn on mine. Uh, the problem here is that so can no no one. We can hear you now. Yeah. Now we can hear you. You just okay. got out. It's going in and out, and so we're either going to have to get rid of that thing, or we didn't do anything; it just went away. All right. So maybe the best bet here, if that's the problem, is just to. Um, yeah, the problem if I turn that off, it won't record the Bible study. People check in for that. Yeah. Well, we have this meeting Sunday. Hopefully, I'll hire someone to get rid of all this garbage and get us a new one that works. Um, all right, we'll just continue on. I apologize if you don't hear part of it. I can't, if I turn any other speaker on than this one, it will have feedback. Mm -hmm. If I turn this off, then there will be no recording. If we if we go have enduring issues with it, um, we'll turn it off and, and just won't be in recording. That's just the way it is. Okay, um, so we were at verse 12. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he chooses. He himself shall dwell in prosperity, and his descendants shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. Turn yourself to me and have mercy upon me, for I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have been enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Look on my affliction and my pain and forgive me all my sins. Consider my enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with a cruel hatred. Keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in you. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Did uh, anyone recognize any particular themes in that that jumped out, kind of repeated themes? It's a song that we sang. Um, Let me not be ashamed. Let me not be ashamed. So it's a, there's a couple repeated idea of, of God freeing the supplicant from shame. Being able to, to face God openly and not hide. 
and do not remember the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. Repentance and, and confession is, is certainly a recurring theme. comes up a few times there. Mm-hmm. My sins are great. Don't remember them. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a psalm about trust. You know, the concept of trust is repeated over and over and over again. Yes, it, it uh, definitely is. Yes. God being trustworthy and also David putting his trust in, in the Lord. <clears throat> and um, it seems also that, that uh, um, related to that idea of trust is this concept of waiting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a, an expectant waiting, which I think gives this particular psalm its, its preeminent advent focus. That, that, that what is Advent about, about repentance, waiting for Christ to come, this is clearly has this focus of sorrow for sin, of, of waiting on God, of asking for defense from, from the enemies. Um, so let's walk through it sort of verse by verse. The, um, the first verse, um, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Um, lifting up my soul. We think of a church to any place we lift up. We lift up our heart every lift Sunday. Lift up our heart every <laughs> Sunday. Um, <clears throat> lifting up our hearts, uh, our, ourselves to God. I think that there's a a connection with that idea of lifting up with um, well, I'll, I'll draw connecting line that we can end up here with. But in Revelation, the scene in Revelation uh, where uh, it kind of symbolizes the worship of the church, which is chapters 4 and 5, at the beginning of it, uh, to see it, John, uh, the visionary, is told to, to come up here. And immediately he's in the spirit, he goes up where he can see. And in a sense, liturgically, we say lift up our hearts. We're, the idea is we're, we're ascending to the throne of God with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. So lifting up our soul is, is sort of lifting um, up out of maybe the distractions that are all around us into the divine presence. To do that in our prayer, what, what's necessary? I mean, maybe that's not, like a, it's not a question with a distinct answer, but some thoughts of how, how, what, is, what, what makes it conducive for us to, to, to be in a posture of lifting up our, our soul to God and being in the divine presence? Surrender. Surrender, okay. How about imminent circumstances? What helps us to lift up our soul? Huh? <laughs> Quiet. Quiet. Because what, 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 what keeps us from lifting up our soul is sort of distractedness. We're, we're all, our, all our attention on what's going around us. And so um, we don't lift up our soul. We, we're, we're mired in sort of the temporal and, and imminent. Which is, is part of the idea of the, the disciplines of prayer that... Um, 
the rhythm of, 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 of prayer by some kind of rule that we talk about is, is attempted to habitually withdraw into a space of connection with God. And so the so life is a rhythm. You, you can't leave the world, but you, but a rhythm of, of coming to our prayer, engaging the world. And as we engage, we're trying to stay connected and not get completely distracted. But, but so lifting up our soul silence, um, <clears throat> What, what other kinds of things, uh, <clears throat> I mean, in terms of personal preparation, silence can help us yeah. to uh, lift up our soul, but just, just being alone in a quiet room doesn't necessarily quiet our mind. Quiet our mind. Um, the humility, <clears throat> a true humility that is uh, necessary also. Yeah. I, it involves a will mm-hmm. and involves uh, dependence, a state of dependence. And again, you can quiet the external, quieting the internal by remembering who we are and who God is mm-hmm. and the humility that goes with that. It also <clears throat> should be noted in, in prayer that... Um, after what Dan's saying, that, that silence will actually reveal your unquieted mind. Mm-hmm. And it's why silence is very uncomfortable mm-hmm. for many in prayer. It's like, well, you just think about it. You say, uh, you say we talk about contemporary, go, go spend five minutes you know, in silence. You know, which one guy thought he, he was joking in one of our classes, we talked about his prayers, like, yeah, I try to do this. I, you know, I thought I'd been there for ten minutes. So look, it's thirty <laughs> seconds. <laughs> you know, you know, it, it's it's it's. Um... I do think the language, though, of the of the offices is quieting. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it it almost makes you be quiet to take part in it. It occupies your 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 vocal cords and your and it's one reason actually also when we're praying people say I don't look at the stuff because I can know it by memory but <laughs> engagement of the eyes my eyes are looking my mouth is speaking the more I'm I'm here and I'm learning this thing even though I may be a little bit uh, it's why so much liturgy can help us in ways that, that that you know just being literally silent there's all sorts of things but it's important um, we want digress too far in it today talking about Psalm 25, but in that silent space, um, when you encounter unsettledness, that's revelatory. And if you always run from it, you're usually running from the unsettled parts of yourself that probably to sit with and say, what is that? Why am I so unsettled? And uh, that's an answer that will... lead to profound spirituality to stick with it, but most people run from it. It's why they, they you know, they, 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 you know, cultivating that really requires a, a, a willingness to face yourself in the silence. So I lift up my soul. I think the second verse actually here, oh my God, I trust you, let me not be ashamed. And this is part of what, um, there is a component of 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 um, intrinsic shame to the human condition when it comes before God and is exposed 
it wants to run. Um, where would we find that at the very beginning of the Bible? Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. Mm -hmm. Hiding. Hiding they hide, they hid in the bushes. Mm -hmm. Whereas before, we get the sense that when God walked, you know, through the garden, it was like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> That's probably some reverence, but but now now the presence is um, that they, they're afraid of it because they have shame. And if they come out and their shame is exposed, so this is this we replay this. I'm, uh, this is this is a constant issue in prayer, um, where rather than face that that painful stuff, let's just okay, let's just go and and we can be and there are there are um, in general a couple of cat uh, two categories of things people do to avoid that that difficult stuff. One is you get busy. Work, 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 work. Okay. And sit still. And the other is you get medicated. Um, you know, and uh, in the general categories of the workaholic and the drug addict, you have the two characteristic ways of avoiding the intense anxiety of human condition. Um, that's you know that that's a, a grand summary, but but. I've, I've noted, and you probably, in your own personality type, have a characteristic way of dealing with it. Mm -hmm. Maybe sometimes it's both. Um, so, what what this sort of this idea of shame? Um, I think it parses out a little bit, as you know, most people, most commentators will opine that. You know, the idea that he's going to talk about sins. Sins are things I've done that can be forgiven. Uh, they are actions that, that um, God will forgive. Shame is, is an intrinsic idea that I am personally bad and therefore unacceptable and have to somehow. And what happens emotionally with, with us is that when, the, when we're confronted with um, Know, what's amiss within us, it often leads to the secondary reaction. I'm bad and I have to run from this. I have to run from facing this. I have to cover it up because I, 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 I don't want to be bad. <laughs> I want to be. But um, so separating out the, the shame, um, uh, and this is, this is what we get from, I think, profoundly from Jesus in the Gospels, is he's not ashamed of us. He confronts us. So, um, you know, some scenes like the Samaritan woman at the well. Talking. Gives her water. You know, he gets, he gets water from, from her. They're, hang, you know, that some, they're, they're having a kind of time. Well, go get your husband. Mm -hmm. He's going to confront what is disordered in her life, but did not reject her. The woman caught in adultery in John 8, who they all want him to stone, um, he looks at her, neither do I condemn you. Now, go, don't do it. He doesn't skip over. So spiritual growth um, requires that we, um, and shame, shame sometimes is rooted sometimes in, it's a complex thing, we're not going to 
exhaust today, but it, it, it seems sometimes it's rooted in messages that um, we may have raised with that it's not okay for you to feel that way or, or um, um, so that when you feel that way, it surfaces the subsequent thing, oh, this is, gonna, this is going to lead to my rejection. So shame is not sin. Shame is not sin. Um, shame, there's, uh, Father Hayden wrote a blog post on this one point for a while back. There's a healthy shame, in other words, of uh, we shouldn't be able to do really bad things and say, you know, you know, just blow in and say, act like it didn't happen. I've seen people do that. I was like, well, you know, just, you, there's no awareness that, you, so a healthy shame is a healthy, it's really repentance. It is, we turn away from it. But, um, The um, the other kind of thing that happens, and and that leads to the idea that that um, when we're there's a lot of things maybe we've done or gone through that we really wish were different. So what we try to do is um, pretend they are, and so the the inability to bring our true selves into God is often less the idea that you know we really believe God couldn't handle us is we want to be who we wanted to be we don't want to be who we are so we can't embrace ourselves and this is a really important part of grace and something that you know David is as sort of the the original psalmist biblically models because he does some things that are not um, uh, you know not good but he and he repents, but he doesn't he doesn't he accepts forgiveness, he comes into God's presence in repentance. He accepts the consequences God lays on him in humility, but he never sees himself as someone who's fundamentally going to be rejected by God. So shame deals with that idea that I you you know just you know that I I am Unworthy because of, 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 of the characteristics of my being. So the shame, so, so uh, let me not be ashamed. And I think that genuine, the genuine experience of, of repentance, uh, and connection to God, even grace, has a dual, um, has a, uh, a paradoxically dual experience and it is profound conviction. And in and profound embrace at the same time. That that we're aware clearly of, of what's going on in our lives, but God's with us in it. And that's part of um, I think the secret of the silence in prayer is when our mind starts racing or whatever the thoughts come, is the understanding that uh, Jesus is not afraid of any of that. So whatever's going on, he can be with us in that. Um, there's this book I've recommended called The Quiet Mind to Suffer With uh, about, this, about, about this guy who's um, uh, had a mental breakdown with OCD and wrote a very profound book about it. Uh, but he, he said when he's talking about, talking about the cross, too, he, says, he said uh, he realized that... Um, Jesus wasn't going to take away all of his thoughts, but he wasn't afraid of them, and he could be with him in them. And so part of the thing there is we think about... Bishop, Bishop yeah. what was the name of the book again? The Quiet Mind and... A Quiet Mind to Suffer With. 
very visceral book. So if you want light reading, who's the author? Uh, I think it's John Andrew Bryant. You have it here. I think I just gave my one copy I had to somebody, but Sounds it's readily available on Amazon. But all of this, let's, let's track this train of thought a little bit more. Um, so if you're being, if who we are with the with, with swirling emotions and thoughts, um, we, we were unsettled sitting with Christ. But those thoughts and emotions are often, um, there are a lot of things they come from. Parts of it are, are memories that are stirred up. And, um, but whatever it is, they they are they are who we are now. So I think um, sometimes the religious answer to that for some is let me clean all this up and then I can come and I'll be and God will accept me. But the the really profound answer of grace is let me allow Christ. Let me sit with Christ exactly as I am with all of that and let and let his presence with me be the way I reconfigure my engagement with my thoughts and, and, and these things so that if he's not ashamed, he can sit with me. That's the so, so that's the idea that that God accepts you as you are. You can't really experience that if you don't accept yourself as you are and bring yourself as you are into your prayer. If the idea of prayer is you can never bring disturbing thoughts into it, to it, then you can never bring yourself into prayer. And I think this is a big issue with prayer. I think it's it's why people uh, go to church and all that. Yeah, because you're not really real there. You bring up a manufactured self that's not you, and you have some idea that who you really are can't be here. Well, and I want to be careful about this too, because, or, or, or that's the wrong word. I want to, um, we should be aware, uh, that not everybody around us can handle all of our deepest, darkest thoughts. <laughs> so what we do need are places of, 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 of essential, genuine honesty. I'd say, so we do need to be able to, so in general, we try to create a Christian community of honesty where if, you know, if you're mad, no one's, you shouldn't be mad. Or you're sad, oh, cheer up. You know, those, those are damaging things that often happen in church. You see if people are, are, are and um, it just means, what, what, if you say that, what, what the message is to somebody is, okay. How I'm really feeling isn't okay here, so I don't think I want to come here. Um, so being a place where people are allowed, being a body where people are allowed to experience life as they actually experience it, and we're not afraid of that, because I don't think Jesus is afraid of us. We're the body of Christ. We have to learn to be able to sit with each other this way. But the main way to be able to sit with each other this way, we have to first sit with ourselves that way. Because if we're if we're aware of our own unsettledness and shame, and we've practiced sitting with Jesus and realized, then we look at someone else who might be in a place we we can just say, "How's it going?" Without having to fix or 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 a lot of times what passes for ministry is, "I'm anxious about how you're feeling, so I try to change it 
into something more presentable to take care of my anxiety. And that's, and that's, um, so, um, anyway, that's a lot on that, but the idea of shame is something that we have to think about. The idea that I am bad versus the idea that there, there are things I've done that need to be, um, repented of and confessed and forgiven so I can, I can enter free, freely now into God's presence. And, um, can I ask a question? We pray each time that we pass will be forgiven. I'm assuming it has been. Mm-hmm. So if I didn't do anything bad in between that time and the next time, I, I, I almost feel like a hypocrite saying, you know, forgive me what has passed, like I'm not trusting him. Well, yeah, I mean, there's, there's right. So let, let, let's, this is a, a, what I consider to be absolutely essential to spiritual progress, the distinction you're bringing out between the fact of forgiveness and the experience of forgiveness. I'm going around the table. There's, there's an, I don't think there's anyone in this Bible study who doesn't believe Jesus died on the cross, saved from sin and death, and all sins are forgiven. There's some unforgivable one that, you know, that talked about in the gospel, but. We, we, we trust that because we're here and wanting to know what Jesus is saying, that's not us. Mm-hmm. And yet, having ex- accepted that idea, we still sometimes are burdened with a great deal of guilt and shame and fear. We don't necessarily experience the reality. We don't necessarily experience the reality that is. Um, but this is true a lot of times, in a lot of places in life. You might be... Um, you might go into some environment where all of a sudden you get anxious and afraid. In truth, it's a very safe place. You don't feel safe. Why? Those are questions to ask. Um, so acclimating ourselves to the experience of forgiveness, um, because the idea, okay, so that it, and it, it, it involves the kinds of processes, I think, that we're talking about, that, that um, your sins are forgiven, but you still think about your sins. Your sins are forgiven, but you're still tempted to. Um, and we have the accuser always accusing us. What's that? And we have the accuser always accusing us Accusers. and trying to that's bring right. all the shame. Well, yeah, that's right. No, that that voice that. corresponds and it creates an internal uh and the question is, this is a question, whose voice are we going to believe? So what I'm saying about the Psalms, I think it's very important. The experience of, of forgiveness has to become experiential. The experience of grace has to become experiential. That means that, that even though our sins are forgiven, we might have pushed away <clears throat> strong emotions and feelings that, that we, okay, and that's that that kind of let's pretend spirituality. Okay, yeah, it's all forgiven, and 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 pretending like you're not still tempted uh, to it. So allowing yourself to sit in your prayer with the thoughts you actually have, and converse with God honestly in that space, and acclimating to the idea that yes, as you really are right now, thought swirling. Your, your sins are forgiven and, and you're with Christ. Bishop, I, I know for myself in the past, I, I have thought that my thoughts were sinful. 
I don't know if anybody else had that teaching, but so so you come and you sit with Christ, but you had these thoughts, so you were, you know, bad, um, shameful, all those things. So so we have these thoughts. They're not sin. Sin. It becomes sin when we actually act on those thoughts. Yeah, it's, right? it's a very important. It's a very important. Um, well, I think this is something too that that in the spiritual battle. Um, um, the idea of of um, thoughts being temptations. We think about Jesus in the wilderness. Uh, the devil comes and talks to him, um, but this this could be conceived of in our life as a thought process. Oh, I'll command so to be bread, and then we embrace that as oh, I'm hungry. There's some bread here, mm-hmm. and and. The, 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 so what we have to develop the ability to do in our own lives is no. I, I, so I've, I've learned the best way to, to, to do it is simply say no. And get in the habit of saying no to that. It's, it's, but these things are strong. <clears throat> no. And then we, th- th- in a way, we take refuge and we can turn that in. But, but Connie's right that um, the idea that uh, the thought of it is not the sin. Um, and you know, we, when we make confessions, um, the degree to which we entertain it and enter into it, it, it partakes of it and it requires more. Um, this is why it's important to think about that sins of thought, word, and deed, as the liturgy says, um, the thoughts that are sinful are the ones where we're thinking, I'd like to nail that person. I could, you know, like, okay. But it really doesn't become, um, so we have to identify it and, and say no. But there's, there, so there's a secondary, um, we can say no, but I also think for our own growth, we have to ask, why is that an enduring temptation? What is it promising to me? That that would fulfill the desire that I now find unfulfilled, and that's 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 a kind of question for prayer that we have to sit in contemplatively over time, and because I think one of the the problems with um, the language of sin um, in the way it's popularly used is people will, you know, oh, I'm stuck in sin. I'm stuck in sin. I'm bad. Because they keep having a desire that they may occasionally bite on for something. And while that may be true enough on the surface, if you don't ask why, what typically happens is somebody has a, an unfulfilled desire in life that's legitimate. We desire a lot of things, you know, to be close to God, to be close to others, to have health, to have peace, to have this. You can, and, and you, as a unique personality, have particular constellation of desires that God has given you. And they're not bad. I, talked, I was talking to a, you know, to a, to a um, woman who, had, who, who, who struggled with same-sex attraction about this. And, and it's like, you know, the desire to be close is not a bad thing. What... What we're dealing with when we're saying no is to the answer that isn't the answer. And what happens is 
an answer presented to us that promises to solve the problem, but it won't. So let's look at Jesus. Hey, you're hungry. Turn the stones into bread. What'll happen? He'll eat for a moment, but won't be savior of the world. And that's often, the, so part of, there's a, and this is something I think as we grow, um, in, in, the problem is in the visceral moment of temptation, mm-hmm. where we're in our reactive brain, we're not being thoughtful. This is what leads us to think like, if you've, you've all done it, if you haven't done it, you're lying to yourself. In a moment of temptation, you give into it, and then and you and then later on you go, "What was that? What was I thinking?" Well, you weren't thinking because we have a reactive brain, we have a thinking brain, and when we get into temptation, we're in this reactive, visceral mode where we something happens, we react to it, which is why the discipline of recollection of prayerfulness attempts to hold on to the presence of Christ, observe the tension tension to reactivity, and, and sometimes it's just weathering the storm. But but we can understand later on, yeah, I, I, there's this thing I want that I don't have right now, um, and I'm tempted to this. But uh, in the re- in, there's a, a colic from our Easter vigil where, where we pray, grant us such reasonableness of mind against the allures of sin, and reasonableness of mind, I think, means realizing this can't give me what it's promising me. And that's what keeps us, the thing that keeps us from temptation is it, what, the, what people often misunderstand is they think, well, everything I want, everything I want is bad and sinful, and God doesn't want me to have the things I want. He's going to punish me. So there's no understanding that a fundamental of what I really want is good. But what What's problem? Let's go back to let's go back to the very tree in the garden. Was it um, was it wrong for Eve to desire to be like God, knowing good and evil? No, she was made in the image of God. Um, and God, and in a, in a childlike state, God intended to tends us for all to grow into that. But this thing couldn't give what. The serpent said it would give. Instead, she ended up with her husband naked, ashamed, afraid of bushes. That's what happens when we bite. We go, we have a desire, something we want, this legitimate. We get an offer, and we, and that's what makes us ashamed. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm bad, but we have said what you want is not bad. This is very important. The sacramental life, it be purified. Disordered desire is a desire that's fulfilled as something that won't give you what you want. Ordered desire is directed towards God, is purified, and ultimately with the idea it's going to be satisfied. This is the waiting of this psalm. Waiting for God to give us what he has promised, which will satisfy us. It's a hard thing to do. It's why we fail so often. We have to clean ourselves off again. I don't remember my sins and come back to the reality. But even when you stumble and fall in sin and come back, your sins are forgiven. You have to actualize the experience again by disowning these things that you did, but but not disowning the part of you that desires fulfillment. I think it's really important because I think this is the bad part of our culture where where we're, if we're saying that. 
that a desire, and a lot of times in our lives, this is something that goes back way into our childhoods, where where we weren't, where people weren't given basic things because they had bad, you know, bad situations, and they were taught they were bad. No, it's not bad for a kid to want to sit on dad's lap and be told it's good. It's not bad to to want a secure home where you can play without getting hit. If you didn't get that, then you then you you learn that. Just wanting it was bad, and also children inherently learned that if something happens, it's my fault. Why? Because it can't be their fault, because it's their fault, this is a scary world. The people in control, you know, so you have to take the blame. So growth to maturity means recognizing um, that this is legitimate. And I will say, I will say here, too, um, that this whole sort of background, family of origin experience thing is not the least bit about blaming your parents. Mm -hmm. It's about validating your experience of your life. Mm -hmm. If you can acknowledge that, yes, you experienced hurt, you didn't get things you felt you needed, and that was okay, and you bring that to your prayer and to the and, and spaces where it can be healed, you eventually get to the point where at whosever hand you experience that, you realize they're always just passing it on from their generation. Mm -hmm. That's why the prisons are full of fatherlessness. It just kept. So what we do is we have to, <clears throat> we have to forgive, but you can't forgive and let go until you validate and process and grieve through your own experience. And, and realize fundamentally you're not bad. What you want is right, is good. God placed it there. And then we begin to have it fulfilled in, in Christ, in, in genuine relationships in the body, and in, in the provision he gives us, all of which in this life will never be complete. That's why we're waiting. That's why we, the Christian life is one of, of a one level fulfillment. The Spirit is with us. We feed on the body and blood. We have we, can, we have the ability to relate closely to people, but there's always going to be the un, the not yet, the already the not yet. So, um, Bishop, one one thing with all of that you're saying is like, I I know for me it's like I I if everyone I'm not saying this is a cure for everyone with all of the company and coming here to church and all this stuff, but if everyone like meditated on Psalm 23 for an hour a day for a year. It's like, if we just, I mean, I know everyone's like, oh no, I don't want to do that. But if, if you sit there and like, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. It, it just starts going into you. It's like your rod and your staff, you comfort me. I know the rod like beats off our old thoughts and the wolves and everything that comes. And, and I, I, agree, I, agree with, I agree with that, but if you sit with that contemplative prayer, yes. you're going to you're going to face your wounded self. You will. You will. And so your wholeness will come, as, as Martin Laird says in his book, Into the Silent Land of Contemplative Prayer. Uh, somebody said that we did, didn't understand that that uh, progress in prayer felt so much like a breakdown. Yeah. <laughs> but what I mean is, you have you, you're 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 gonna if you're gonna sit in your prayer, you're gonna you're gonna face yourself. Yeah. And and you realize the Lord, who is your shepherd, can handle you. Yeah. And you have to handle you. Can you embrace you? 
That's usually the biggest thing. Can you embrace you? Can you, can you accept this is who I am? There's no alternative universe created. I can't go back and make it different. I did what I did. I didn't do what I didn't do. Here I am. And it's okay. That's the thing. And that takes a lifetime to acclimate to because we emotionally experience it and then we go out and say, God, God. And we, it, what I, I think it's almost developing emotional muscle memory. We have a natural muscle memory that is disordered. We want to learn now to, to process these things in a slightly different way. All right, well, let's, let's move on a little bit in the psalm. But those, those concepts of, of um, lifting up our soul, trusting and not being ashamed, um, have contours to them that we can't. Um, Let not mine enemies triumph over me. And we started the Psalms. Who, who do we think principally in the Psalms we're thinking of as our enemies? Devil. devil. What are the enemies of the soul classically? The world, the, the, world, the flesh, and the devil <laughs> that we renounced in baptism. Everyone baptized, at least in the prayer book, right? You renounce the devil and all his works, the vain pomp and wear of the world, with all covetous desires the same, and the sinful desires of the flesh. Those are the enemies. Why are the enemies? Because they keep promising you some fulfillment temporally, that won't fulfill you. That's all for it, though. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we, though? You look so good. You look so good, that apple. So we're asking for protection. Um, and, again, we just, lest, this is the primary enemy that Jesus defeated on the cross. The evil one. And that's why our sins are forgiven. Because the accuser no longer has a case against God's elect. Because Christ has fulfilled the covenant and in Christ we are vindicated and justified. Revelation 12. The accuser of our brethren has been cast down. He has no case in the heavenly court anymore. We have to acclimate ourselves through prayer. We're learning to experience the reality of it. And we do that when we pray the Psalms. I think Cheryl's right about, Lord's my shepherd. We come to the Eucharist and we realize he's still here. And I'm still me. We eventually acclimate to the experience of embrace as we are. But we're, we're very persistent. The enemies are persistent. Indeed, let no one who waits on you, that waiting, because this deliverance doesn't come fast. Why doesn't it come fast? We wouldn't trust. We have the answer. You're not seeking me anymore. We're, he's, 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 that's te- faith is tested. <clears throat> Will you wait? All the, all of the, and we should say about waiting, waiting doesn't necessarily imply a passivity, it's an activity in prayer. Mm-hmm. We're continuing, like, so the prayer here. Be ashamed. 
Yeah. And, but in the world, those who should be shamed are often walking around without, with impunity, and those who 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 are really God's people look don't look as good. In in contrast, show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. You are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day long. That articulates out another way of waiting. We're listening for God's direction, his word. What should I do as I wait? What should I do today? Um, how, should I, how, how will I be faithful? How will I be obey? How will I love? Those are questions to ask in our prayer. Again, waiting again. Two times we've had waiting. I wait all the day. Advent, we're waiting for Christ to come. But we're waiting, again, as those who are with us, and this is something we have to remember in line of the Psalms, we, we already, we're already in Christ, and that's the joy in the midst of it. And I think we have to learn to rejoice in the fact that we're sitting in our prayer, and Christ is with us in our prayer. But St. Paul says, we'll say in our Fourth Sunday in Advent epistle, rejoice in the Lord always. We actually get it twice because the third Sunday we get it in the introit. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Why? Because Christ is with you. You, you. you are you are saved. You, you may not have acclimated yet okay. to the reality of that, but it's true. It's like Mother Teresa said in the sermon once, it doesn't matter what you believe, it is like that. Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindnesses, for they are of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. Now, so we have the, the discipline of ongoing confession. It doesn't mean our sins aren't forgiven, but it, it renews our own posture of separating from them and trusting him. And that's why we have, we continually confess, we continually remember. This is, this is the posture of repentance that we're growing into. We also know in our practice of repentance that we grow in repentance, that there's, um, this is kind of the idea that we start with, you know, I lust, gluttony, cloth, outward things. We move to understanding um, what those things are about in the fact that we don't really trust God and we don't really love other people. So repentance grows uh, and, and ultimately comes we don't love God and others as we ought. But to me, the, and, and to me the transforming power of, of prayer is the continuous experience that God continues to embrace you in that space. And if you realize that and experience that, if you, you, you can't experience that kind of love, divine love, as a way of life and not become, to some degree, a lover of others in the same way. So that's the transforming thing. It's not 
the old what the old we start out the idea of you know I I have these thoughts that I, I, I want to get rid of so I try to I try to be good and, and come to God. Uh, this is the other way. This is the thoughts are what they are, and 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 we're embraced just in that way. Now what should you do? Now you go along. You don't go. You don't go to earn the the thing. You you go to bear witness to what you've experienced, and then as the orbit decays, you come back to experience it again. And that's the Christian life, from prayer to witness back to prayer, and always begins with grace and issues and witness and obedience and faithfulness. The wrong articulation of the Christian life begins with. I try hard to be good so I can look good. And when churches become characterized by that, everything's outwardly good, but everyone's covering up what they're really struggling with their hearts, that's where you get a kind of faux, uh, faux faith and, and, and not helpful. And because it's not really very easy to love everybody. It, I mean, I'm not lovable to a lot of people, and I find I, I struggle with that. Well, and, and, and but if you think about, I think one of the things I think about, well, that's like, yeah, person did both a lot of this. Like, what if God looks at me every day in prayer? <laughs> that's the same thing. Scott, here he is again. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, we, uh, that's, the, that's the idea of seeing um, others uh, through. And I, I think that the more we embrace our own dark parts and face ourselves, the greater is our charity towards others. Mm-hmm. And that's why I do, I just think that's really related. The more I person did this, you usually find someone who's kind of not really dealing with all their own stuff. I can't deal with it in me, I can't deal with it in you. You clean this up. But the more we understand the reality of grace, the more we we can take the other less personally and, and, and extend the grace of God to them. So verse 8, good and upright is the Lord, therefore he teaches sinners in the way. The humble, as Diane started with that, the humble he guides in judgment, in humility waiting. And the humble there, see the idea of I don't want to embrace myself as I am, I want to be who I want to be, that is pride. So I pretend to be who I want to be. Humility is this is who I am. That's the only you that God can really love, or anyone can really love, because the other thing is only a fiction. The humble he guides in justice, and the humble he teaches his way. We have to be open to his word to go to, 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 to learn it. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth to such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. So keep his covenant and his testimonies. So walking, you know, a lot of this... Um, the paths here, I think a lot of language in the New Testament where St. Paul says, you know, walk in the spirit or see that you walk, not as the Gentiles walk. It's the path you're walking on, the way you're going about living life. And to, stay, to keep this covenant, um, which is the new covenant in Christ, which is to love one another as I have loved you. If we walk in that love, then... There's mercy and truth for for us and for others. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. 
Almost like it comes after verse 10. All the paths that are mercy and truth. Yeah, okay, remember. I said forgive me. Who is the man that fears the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way he chooses. He himself shall dwell in prosperity. And his descendants shall inherit the earth. Which is interesting. <clears throat> this prosperity... Um, he's talking about is something he does not seem to be enjoying at this particular moment. So the idea is that there is a fulfillment for those who patiently wait a prosperity ultimately in the kingdom. It's why the kingdom is described as a city with uh, gates of pearl and streets of gold and thus the wealth, the inheritance symbolizing the fulfillment of all, all desires. Also, when you read the psalm, Inherit the Earth, although I think the global implications of the gospel are important, there's probably more better to read it land, because that was the promise to Israel, that his chosen people inherit the land. So those who are his covenant people are going to inherit the land, even if the land becomes the whole earth. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. And the secret there is like counsel. But again, there's a, there's a hidden nature of God's will that you have to seek it by faith to find it. And it's why a lot of people don't, don't get it, because you, 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 you see it by faith. And so there must be a, the gift of faith to see the, the secret counsels of God. But as we seek it in prayer, he shows it to us. He shows them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord. He shall pluck my feet out of the net, which means he'll rescue me from the trap that's set in the middle of the road, like the one they set, you know, it's a trap for an animal they're hunting. Or a... Turn yourself to me and have mercy on me, for I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Look on my affliction and pain and forgive me all my sins. One thing we should note in this posture of, of prayer, too, is that there's a way in which our afflictions are a gift. Because they, they keep us connected to God in this way. They keep us dependent. It's not a secret, biblically or even in our country, in experience, that pro temporal prosperity and things being really good have a not a positive impact on faith. As, the, as God said in Deuteronomy to Israel, beware lest you go in the promised land and you build houses and plant vineyards. You say, my own arm has gotten me this. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what happens to us. It's not, it's just we, we just forget our dependency. So one of the, the gifts, obviously we pray for deliverance, but the gift of affliction is, oh yeah, I'm a temporal, finite creature who needs to hold on to God daily. Consider my enemies, how many they are, and they hate me with a cruel hatred. And that would be the evil one who does hate. It's, it's always funny sometimes you see, funny is the wrong word, insightful, to say, when you see like a heinous crime, and they'll say, well, what was the motive? Hate doesn't have a motive. It, it's miserable and it wants to make more people miserable with it. There's no motive for that. 
the, the, the desire, the overthrow, um, that, that, that sort of narcissistic, self-centered hatred is just, just wants to see suffering because it wants, it wants all to share in its own affliction. And just like the, it says in Revelation, the devil has come down to you having, uh, uh, with great wrath because he knows his time is short. He knows exactly where he's going. This is, we should know by faith we have eternal life. He knows that was over. Keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in you. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. So we try to, out of our experience of grace, begin to act with integrity and grow. And so, again, the contours of the Christian life from prayer, we start with our prayer and the experience of grace. We move forward in, into growth in faithfulness and faith. And um, because we are set free from our sins, we no longer have to walk in them. And I think the more that we, again, as we started out talking about why we're unsettled sometimes and sitting with ourselves, the more we um, work through and embrace some of the dark aspects of our own thoughts and emotions, grieve through some of the losses that we've experienced, forgive those, let go of our need for them to be different. That's what forgiveness means. I, let, I give up my right of retribution and I give up my need for a thing to be different because I'll accept Christ's work in my life now. Um, the more we're able then to act in the current moment without the compulsive motives of, 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 of because apart from that, we tend to replay the same pattern. We try to run from our thing, we act out, we do the same thing. So forgiveness has to be a broadly healing of, of the things we've experienced and our own forgiveness, our own letting go of our need in our life for anything to be different. That's, that's harder. That's why Jesus says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And I think to do that, we have to trust in Christ's work in our lives as they actually are and give up the way we wanted it to be. That's what, that's the ground of forgiveness. Um, Joseph, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Whatever anyone intended, our, that's our share of the cross, bringing our lives to Christ. He's going to take this chaotic mess and create his new creation. We have to embrace the fullness of that and give up our need for it to be different. As long as we're trying to fix it back then, we're going we're gonna to be anxious here in the present moment. And we'll act with less integrity and uprightness. Bishop, I have a question. Uh, are are you say this is who we are, but aren't we in Christ a new creation at the same time? And like Colossians three three, like I have died and now I am hidden with Christ in God and put on Christ every day, and He is our righteousness. And all of those kind of verses, like, are we also at the same time? We're 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 not the old man. We're also the new one. We've died, 
and I don't want to like, I'm not saying like we run and act like we're not in, none of our sins are real and hiding that, but I thought we're meant to like practice. So I'm really asking this, like, are we meant to practice? I am Christ. He is my righteousness. I'm not that old person, but nevertheless, all this stuff comes up. I don't know. I don't know. Well, yeah, I, I, I think, I think what, what I, I, I think that's all, of course, all right. It's scriptural stuff. I just think the new person we are has to go through the reality as experienced through the experiential processing of who we really are in our prayer. And, and sometimes the promises like that are used as a way of covering up the real grief I have to deal with. Yeah. And so that means parts of us, memories, experiences aren't brought into the reality. So put another way, the, the wounded parts of ourself, uh, the memories of what happened um, that, that are emotional, visceral, embodied memories, we're not supposed to put that to death. Those are supposed to be healed. We're supposed to put to death the way we medicated ourselves by doing this, that, and that. We're not going to do that with it. But we still have to face that, those parts of ourselves. Like, this is a big thing. Because I think we can, we can, we can use the language of putting to death to, to talk about killing like who we really are. Mm -hmm. And that's. Thank you. Yeah. I, 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 that's, that's something, this is the thing you think about. And I think about this a lot is now this is my, my, my big meditation for certainly decades of ministry is what makes us change. And, um, and also this whole language of, death to sin and coming to life and the idea, but there are parts of us that are wounded. And I do think sometimes we try to deny that that wound ever happened. I'm just new with an idea, but it did happen. <laughs> and so you have to, you, it, it's like, it, it's, it might be like a experience you had at a, and it's like a, it's like a childlike part of yourself. You have to, yeah, that hurt. Ouch. That's not an old self that needs to die. That's a, a real you that needs to say, that needs to be parented, because it wasn't. No one was there to sit with that. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I, autobiographically, I mean, when I was 12, I had a brother who died of cancer. And I realized, I, I, was, I was about 30 years old, I realized I really never had a chance to be sad about that. It's like, there was no, we don't really, I, mean, I was obviously sad, but we didn't really grieve it. We just, okay. Life was on, go to middle school now. And so I became angry instead. And so the, the part of me that needed to die was a part of me that did some crime and did some drugs. But the part of me that got wounded does not need to die. It needs to be understood that that was really sad. And if we can sit there and realize that that sadness of loss is a legitimate thing and grieve, and let, and that's the sadness of the human condition. It's not my, it's not unique to me. That's, that doesn't need to die. So maybe I hope the illustration can make the, the distinction. Mm -hmm. The way we act it out, yeah, that we can't do that. But why, who, what's that about? That needs to be dealt with. That needs to be embraced. Yeah, it's sad. And so that was helpful for me. I, oh, it's okay to be sad. And yeah. a follow that, an extension of that would be so many counterfeit people putting on the new man and acting it out. It's yeah. like, 
they come to church and they're not the real person. But I think that's what happens in manipulative Christianity. You get people who've not dealt with their real lives, and it sneaks out, and they, they undiscover. But they're still they're, they're they just they've just um, channeled it into a new way now under the cover of good, which is all the more dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they typically take advantage of people who've also not dealt with their stuff, who yeah. want to believe the lie, yeah. Yeah. it's all better. And then it, that's, that's how those, that's how very unhealthy communities form. Yeah. Is, is, um, we'll be less susceptible to that stuff when we face the darkness in ourselves, we'll realize where it's kind of fake light. All right. Let us pray. Lord, bless us and keep us. Lord, make his face to shine upon us. Be gracious unto us. The Lord, lift up his countenance upon us. Give us peace this day and forevermore. Amen. Did you with that one today? That was great. That was great. Thank you. I'm so ashamed. <laughs> well, he ashamed was like four or five times. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because that's that was the. Um, <laughs>